Hey everyone, welcome to the Revive West Des Moines podcast. I'm Jamie Richards, the Young Adult Minister at Hope West Des Moines. What you are about to hear is the live recording from Revive West Des Moines this past week. We hope you can connect with God and the good life that God has for you through what you hear in this message. Check it out. Hey Marty. And that's your answering service while you're outside pouting over the car. Jennifer Parker called you twice. I don't like her, Marty. Any girl who calls up a boy is just asking for trouble. Oh, Mom, there's nothing wrong with calling a boy. I think it's terrible. Girls chasing boys. When I was your age, I never chased a boy or called a boy or sat in a parked car with a boy. Then how am I supposed to ever meet anybody? Well... It'll just happen, like the way I met your father. That was so stupid. Grandpa hit him with the car. It was meant to be. Anyway, if Grandpa hadn't hit him, then none of you would have been born. Yeah, well, still don't understand what Dad was doing in the middle of the street. What was it, George? Bird watching? What, Lorraine? What? Anyway, your Grandpa hit him with the car. And brought him into the house. He seems so helpless. Like a little lost puppy. And my heart just went out to him. Yeah, Mom, we know. You've told us this story a million times. You felt sorry for him, so you decided to go with him to the fish under the sea dance. No, no, it was the enchantment under the sea dance. Our first date. I'll never forget it. It was the night of that terrible thunderstorm. Remember, George? Oh, there's just a lot going on in that clip. Who's seen Back to the Future? I think it's just, I just now saw it for the first time in 20, or well, in 2020, and my husband was very disappointed in me that that was the first time, but great, great movie. Before we get into that, hello, welcome to Revive. Uh, My name's Jordan. I am the student ministry director at Hope Waukee, just over that way, Um, but it's always so much fun to be able to hang out with you all uh, on Thursday nights. So um, this is like a lot of people for me, so this is exciting. Yay! Oh, hold on. I already have earring problems. Well, I always wear hoops when I... I come here and they always click against the microphone. Okay, uh, if you're joining us online, welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, but tonight we're diving into our second week, yes, that's right, of next level adulting. So who has adulting figured out? Anybody. You're all adults, so we technically should have it all figured out, right? Uh, no, next level adulting. And so tonight we're going to dive into something that can sometimes be a little bit of a tricky topic. Family. Family matters. And so, oh, that went backwards. There we go. No. Can you go to my first slide? Because that is playing that. But anyway, family matters. And so you can read this in two different directions. You can read it as family matters. We're going to talk about matters of the family tonight. You know, lots of things going on with family. Or you can read it as family matters. Family does matter. Either way, it's both relevant tonight because we're going to dive into how God is calling us to be family, what God intended for family to look like, and how we are all part of God's family. Uh, But before we do that, let's talk about the clip you just saw. So Back to the Future, I really enjoyed that movie. Now, the main point of Back to the Future, I don't think, is to show um, all the family dynamic, but that's a huge part of it. 
And in this, we have some interesting characters. So Marty is played by Michael J. Fox, and he noticed at this scene, he doesn't speak at all. He's just observing the table. He's observing what's going on with his family. He has an older brother, Dave, who you didn't see. He wasn't in that clip. Um, His sister, Wendy, and then there is Lorraine and George. Uh, They're the McFly family. And I just thought this scene was so interesting because the movie title is Back to the Future. And tonight we're talking about going back to be able to move forward. Because a lot of time we have hurts and tough stuff that's happened in our past that is really hard to face. And sometimes it's something that our families have taught us. Because let's be real, our families are people that we grew up with. Uh, Everyone's family looks differently, but whether it's a parent or a legal guardian, whatever it may be, we all came from somewhere. And so there's a lot of things that could go really well in family dynamics, and hopefully you've all experienced those, but there's also things that can go really poorly. And in this exact clip, as we just watch uh, the son, um, Marty, look and observe what's going on, you can kind of just kind of feel tension, right? The mom is kind of living in the past of this dream time when they were in love, and the, the dad is very disengaged, not at all really noticing, working on his crosswords and watching the TV. And the kids are noticing that. Marty's noticing that. And I show this clip because I want you to realize, if you haven't already, that you have noticed things in your parents' life that are both good and bad that you will take on into your ne- in your family, whether you like it or not. That's just fact. We were raised by people, and usually we adopt qualities from those people that we're surrounded with. Same goes for friendships. Same goes for Revive. Hopefully you adopt qualities that when you come here through Revive, hopefully you're welcoming and um, you get to talk to one another and you, it's just a great space to be. But sometimes we have those tough things that happen. And, and this family is just an interesting, interesting dynamic. And so I wanted to jump in uh, to the verse tonight that uh, Jenna, right, Jenna? Jenna read uh, from Exodus because sometimes this verse, it's very like direct. God is very direct. This is part of the Ten Commandments, um, that scripture, Exodus. Uh, am I clicking? I'm clicking the green, Holden. Isn't that supposed to go forward? Okay, so it's not. So I'm going to have you do the slides for me. So go to the Exodus passage. This, is, uh, this always happens when I'm here. Uh, anyway, so Exodus 20. We're not going to pick through all of this tonight because it's a lot, but we're going to read it and then I'll have a few things to say about it. But it says this. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven. Above, oh, this is the old one. Do you have the other one? Or no? Sorry. Or I can just get my Bible out and read it for y'all. You got it? Anyway, okay, I'll find it. Don't worry, talk amongst yourselves. It's fine. Uh, Exodus 24 through 6. We're getting there. All right, here we go. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands." I'm going to try the next slide, see if it works. 
Nope. Okay, go to the next one for me, please. There we go. So here in this, this passage, I want to pull out two main things that God's trying to do. The first is God is redefining family roles and functions. In that passage, when he's talking about there's going to be sin, so that means that the, like you know, four generations ago, I'm going to pay. Does that mean I'm going to pay for those sins? And the way I see God speaking in this is this. If there's something that happens in your family that's broken from four generations ago, you 100% will end up, that will affect you at some point or another. Think about a family member, say there's a divorce in the family, or there's a cheating scandal, or there's fill in something sad, a, a suicide, a death in the family. That trickles down and affects you in certain ways. You might not know those people, but your parents maybe were parented by them, or your grandparents were parented by them. And slowly but surely, generations learn from generation to generation. And so when it comes to this, God's redefining this family role and its functions because God knows that he wants us to look to him for the, the end-all, be-all, not to look to just who happens to be the father or the mother and that specific immediate family. Because we know that he knows everything way better than how we know how to run family. Think of all the dysfunction of the world. God is not dysfunctional. And he set up these commandments for a reason because he wants to protect us. And that leads kind of into the second, uh, second point. God's law was trying to save families, not shame them. And so it's important to know that God, as he is making these commandments, is doing this, although it sounds severe, it's out of love for us, not out of trying to shame and, and scold us. And I, I think the two biblical truths that I know Jamie referenced the book last week, and we're kind of basing this series around this book. If you haven't gotten it, you should. Emotionally, so it's a tongue twister though. Emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, Peter, the author of this book, writes this uh, in here, and it says this, that there's two biblical truths that are coming from this passage. The first is the blessings and sins of our families going back two to three generations profoundly impact who we are today. And I know that to be true even in my own family of just thinking about the things that have happened in the past few generations, whether it's my great-grandparents, my grandparents, my parents, it's carried on. And sometimes it's, it's a story that's told and, or it's just in the way that my parents interact with each other and it's similar to the way their parents interact with each other. There's things that we are constantly picking up as human beings. You think about how we absorb, God created us to absorb so much information, right? Everything we do is absorbing information and doing something with that information. And it's in the same way in family dynamics, but think about this, you're even more impressionable, especially when you're under the age of 24. When your brain, your frontal cortex hasn't fully developed yet, I think it's like 25, I'm sure right when you turn 25 it just, just develops, right? Um, but that's what I always say to my students, I don't know if they like that or not, but they have so much that still needs to go on physically in their body before they can become a full-fledged adult. And I think it's so interesting because we are so just, uh, we just absorb so much. I don't have the word for that right now. And remembering that, that's included in families. It's not just what you learn in school. The second one is this. Discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to do life God's way in God's family. So I have this bar cart. That's a good segue, right? I have this bar cart. I got it for my wedding a few years ago, and I was really excited 
to put it together. And my husband wasn't home, so I'm like, I'm going to do this, and it's going to be awesome. And it had directions, and I'm really good, really savvy with stuff like that. And I'm putting it together, and I, I get it together, and it looks amazing on the outside, okay? And so I start to put the wine on there, and the cute little decanter, and all the decorations, and I accidentally bump it a little bit. I'm like, this is a little wobblier than I was expecting, but I'm sure it's fine. So my husband comes home, he sees it, he's like, oh nice, thanks for doing that, I don't have to do that now. And he's like, we should move it just a little bit. I'm like, okay. And so it has wheels, and we move it, and he's like, I don't think it's supposed to be this uh, flexible. And what I realized is I had put a part in backwards, and it was the type of thing that I couldn't just replace it, you know, take that part out and put it back. It had to be completely deconstructed. So I ended up giving my husband more work, because let's be real, I wasn't going to do it. So he completely had to deconstruct it to reconstruct it the right way again. And I want you to think about that image as we talk tonight, because sometimes, and some of you are going to have to completely deconstruct some of the teachings that you've been taught by your family, so that you can reconstruct them, not on your own, but with God. And that's what we're going to try to do. I'm trying to try to give you some tips and tricks tonight on how to do that. And so I love this book, and I have a, I have a quote, because I don't want to use it too much, but I have a quote for every like big point, so three total quotes, okay, um, what I want to use. But this is what um, Peter says in one of the first parts of chapter three. He says this, true spirituality frees us to live joyfully in the present. It requires, however, going back in order to go forward. Because I don't know if you've been taught this, I definitely have been taught this, that only the truth sets you free. Only the truth ultimately sets you free. And so if I am living my life now, currently, based off of the now, and know that I've been not dealing with things of my past, I'm not actually living in truth, I'm living in the fear of the past, And I'm distracted by those things subconsciously as I'm trying to live out my future. And so we have to deal with the things of the past before we can move forward. And that's not an easy thing to hear. That's a really hard thing to even deal with. That's why there's amazing therapists in the world and all these different things in great community as well. But a lot of it comes down to spending some time with your creator. Because he's ultimately going to be the healer of all of that stuff. And so I think back to the movie, Back to the Future, and something that Marty actually has the opportunity to do is to go back to the past and understand why maybe his family is the way that they are. Because a lot of the time for me, when I've had misunderstandings, I have a very tight family. We are really close. We um, absolutely love them. When we struggle uh, or have issues or fights, most of the time my family, my parents are very good at kind of telling me what the source of it was. Maybe there was, uh, my mom once told me that uh, she's really chatty, really chatty. She used to tell me that she was super quiet back when she was younger because she was, there was a ton of cousins and she just never got, never had a voice. And so now she's super chatty because it's like the opposite of what she used to be. And so I got to go back to the source of, oh, that makes sense now how you don't like awkward silences. I barely like awkward silences. And she just, she's like, yeah, I just can't not have conversation. And so I see that from that lens. But we have Marty now who gets to go back and understand why George, his dad, is just really disengaged. He's alive, but he's not living. He's just being. 
So take a look at this clip. Um, they're back in the past, um, and uh, George and Marty are sitting next to each other. Take a look. Hey, McFly. What do you think you're doing? Yes. Hey, I'm talking to you, McFly, you Irish bug. Oh, hey, Biff. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, you got my homework finished, McFly? Uh, well, actually, I figured since it wasn't due till Monday. Hello? <laughs> Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think, McFly. Think. I gotta have time to recopy you. You realize what would happen if I hand in my homework and your handwriting? I'll get kicked out of school. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? Would you? Well, now, of course not. No, I wouldn't no. want that to happen. What are you looking at, butthead? Hey, Biff, get over this guy's life preserver. Dork thinks he's gonna drown. Yeah. So, uh, how about my homework, McFly? Uh, okay, Biff. Well, I'll, uh, I'll finish that on up tonight, and then I'll, uh, bring it over first thing tomorrow morning. Okay, not too early. I sleep in Sundays. Oh, mm -hmm. McFly, your shoes untied! Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Don't be so gullible, McFly! Okay. I don't want to see you in here okay. again. Okay. <laughs> Alright, bye-bye. <laughs> What? You're George McFly. Yeah, who are you? Say, what do you let those boys push you around like that for? Well, they're bigger than me. Stand tall, boy. Have some respect for yourself. Don't you know if you let people walk over you now, they'll be walking over you for the rest of your life. Look at me. You think I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this slop house? Watch it, Goldie. No, sir. I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to night school. And one day, I'm going to be somebody. That's right. He's going to be mayor. Yeah, I'm going to... Mayor. <laughs> and he does become mayor. Um, that clip just gives so much perspective for Marty of my dad has been living in fear for years. I couldn't imagine being Marty and seeing that because that's such a sad thing when you love someone and know that they're so stuck in the past of their fear because they haven't been able to deal with that. They haven't ever really lived since that. And that's exactly what George what is happening to George is he's still the pushover and he's just the, he's trying to like fit in there. You know, he's like joking as they're like hitting him. That's obviously not, I'm assuming he's not something that well, he wants to be treated like that, but yet he's stuck because he's never actually faced his fear and his past to change his future. And in the book, uh, it continues uh, with this. It says this, The great problem is when our family's invisible scripts are contrary to Christ's, and when the family commandments passed on to us are so deeply embedded in our DNA that we cannot even discern the difference, the result can be tragic. And to me, looking at George McFly, it is tragic because there's no one that's helping him to come alongside him and get him out of the life he's living right now or, or his existence. And it's just this unhealthy relationship he's establishing with people around him because he's just being. And so what do we do? What, what do we do when maybe in your own life you have something in your past that's totally just keeping you down and you cannot move forward, but you just keep living? Because here's the thing, time doesn't stop. Life keeps going on it's just a matter of are you ready to face that so you can live the life God's calling you into. 
And so what do we have to do? We have to break the chain. We have to break the chain, break the, the uh, flow, well, I can't think of the word right now, but we have to break the chain that's holding us back in our past so we can move on into our future. And uh, Peter, actually, he writes about um, the Ten Commandments of family. And in these Ten Commandments, he talks about things that you might have been told as a family um, that aren't biblically true, but it's just something that common, common things that families have said. And I want to go ahead and take a moment. I'm going to read you the categories um, that he goes through. But I want you to get thinking in your head. What is something that your family has maybe told you or taught you that as you've gotten older you realize, nah, maybe that's not probably healthy or accurate. Some of the things Peter writes about, it's about money, conflict, sex, grief and loss, expressing anger, family, relationships, attitudes toward different cultures, success, feelings and emotions. I think about conflict. There, here's one. This is just, that stuck out to me. The lie, avoid conflict at all costs. Maybe you were taught, brush under the rug, be okay, don't show that there's any problems at all. Um, other ones, grief and loss. Sadness is a sign of weakness. Think about in your own family for a second, what family commandments have you believed that aren't biblical? What family commandments over the time as you've grown up and developed your frontal cortex are starting to realize, eh, maybe that wasn't actually probably something I should have clung to for so long. Take a few seconds, then I'll share one of mine. What about this one? Anyone hear this one before? You must achieve to be loved. So this is a false narrative I placed in my head at a pretty young age. And as I've talked with my family about it, um, I realized more and more just how false it was. I was a golfer all through my life, and I played in college, and there was always this pressure that I would put on myself to just be either the best or get into the right school or a win state or get in the right college to be able to play, get a scholarship, all these pressures. So think of your own life, think of the pressures maybe you've, you've put on yourself and it's actually, it was all you creating that false narrative in your head. I didn't have to achieve to be loved, but for some reason, somewhere in my spectrum of family and friends, I felt like that's what I needed to be loved. And I remember a specific time, well, a lot of times, but when I would be golfing, this would happen a lot in high school, and I would be golfing, and my mom was there all the time, every tournament she was there. And my dad was there a lot, but my mom was my number one cheerleader. And she would always follow along, and I remember one day turning to her and saying, you know what, I don't even deserve you being here. And I just kept walking because I was playing so bad. And I've talked about it with her since, but how low I had to be in that moment to think that my mom would only want to watch me if I was good. Because truth of the matter, she just liked watching. She didn't care how I was doing. The only reason she would care was because I, she knew I would be sad about it or upset about it. But it had nothing to do with how much she loved or didn't love me. She loved me regardless of what I shot. But yet, this is the false narrative I put in my head. 
And so when we think about how do we break these chains, I don't know about you, but I need an example. I need an example of somebody that has been so hurt by their family that far exceeds anything my family has ever done to me or I've done to other people. And, and tell me how to do this. How do I break the chain to be able to go back, face my stuff, and then be able to move forward with God? And I think about Joseph. Joseph was... Uh, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, and he is a uh, youngest of uh, youngest of the sons of Jacob. And Joseph is has a really impressive skill, thanks to the Spirit of God. He can interpret dreams, and so Joseph started to get these dreams. He'd interpret them, and he'd go to all of his siblings and tell them what what was going on, what he was interpreting. And so I don't know about you, who's the oldest sibling or has a younger sibling? Raise your hand, I'm curious. Okay, cool, Jamie, I bond over this because we each have two younger sisters. When I was growing up, my sisters were always like better than me at stuff. I was always annoyed about that. Like I was good at stuff. And one day my dad told me, do you know why they're so good and they're better than you? Because they've watched you. And so I think about my siblings, my youngest sister coming to me and saying what Joseph said to his siblings a few times. I had this dream, and I interpret it as, you, one day you will all bow to me. How, how do you receive that as an older sibling? You'd be like, uh, BS, uh, no thank you, uh, moving on, um, kick them and then be gone. Well, Severely, Joseph's brothers had some issues, uh, big time, and they came from a line of so much brokenness in families. The people before Jacob's family was broken, it was full of wives and concubines and a ton of, it was a huge mixed family. And it didn't end there, it was for generations before that too. And so it had been this unhealthy, spiritually emotional dynamic, very, very unhealthy, and so one day, uh, they're all, they're going to town. I'm really summarizing this here for you, so make sure you read Genesis. But they all go to town, and Joseph catches up later, and they see him coming. And so I'll read, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Okay, well, this is taking a turn for the worst. So basically what happens is they all have this brainstorming session and end up deciding to sell him to be a slave. And so he, uh, they do it, and the, youngest, the other younger brother, Benjamin, was not about this. He was not wanting this to happen. He wanted to rescue his brother, um, and so he was not on board. But everyone else was like, this is what's happening. And so it ends up that he goes into Egypt, he's sold and goes uh, to be, live in Egypt, and in that time frame, Joseph, it just goes from bad to worse. He's accused of rape and is thrown in prison, a crime he did not commit, and he's there for a long time. And all these things, it just keeps getting worse and worse for Joseph, until one day, Pharaoh is having these really disturbing dreams. And he needs someone to interpret them. And he has a bunch of people, but no one can interpret them. And so he hears about Joseph. And so Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. And he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. 
And so Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and it becomes, it's not just a one-time thing, it's an often thing, to the point where Pharaoh trusts Joseph so much because of he knows that he has the Spirit of God dwelling inside him. Joseph has this gift of the Spirit, and that's how he's able to have this power. Pharaoh realizes, I got to get this guy on board with me. And so he pretty much tells him he can rule Egypt. So he goes from being a youngest son, sold into slavery, he's in Egypt, he's in prison for a crime he didn't commit, Pharaoh ushers him in, and now he's going to rule Egypt. Okay, that's a life so far, but it doesn't end there. Because his family is suffering because one of the dreams that Pharaoh um, has, Joseph interprets, there's a famine. There's a famine that lasts a long time. And so what does that mean? The brothers, his other brothers, they need food. And so they have to come to Egypt to buy grain and go back. And so they have a lot of trips going back and forth. And the first time Jacob, the the father of Joseph, does not let Benjamin, the youngest son, go to Egypt. And the first time there, Joseph is there and he sees his brothers, but his brothers don't recognize him. And he says, is this all your brothers? And someone says, no, I have, I have another brother back at home. And Joseph knows Benjamin was the one that did not want him to be sold into slavery. And he says, okay, go back and bring Benjamin too, or bring your other brother. And Jacob was really hesitant, but he allows Benjamin to go back. So all the brothers go back. And we get into Genesis 43. Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? Joseph asked. May God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he'd ordered, bring out the food. So it wasn't just that he gave them grain, but he invited them for dinner. He invited these people, these brothers that had betrayed him brutally, into his space for dinner. But other thing that might, you might just be able to gloss over sometimes is this. It's very detailed when it comes to Joseph hurried from the room. He cried. This is not the only time he cries. It's listed in the Bible a few other times. And we see him grieving this process because the emotion that Joseph has to feel seeing his brothers for the first time in years and knowing what they did to him is like a weight I can't even imagine. And so finally, Joseph decides to tell his brothers who he is. And he says this, please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. I would not react this way. I would not react this way if I was Joseph. And I bet you Joseph wouldn't react this way if he was all human. But he had the spirit of God living within him to guide his steps, to give his brothers that grace and that forgiveness that God can give. And that's what he extended to his brothers. What a crazy life. But he, he knows there was a purpose in it, and God made a purpose through the mess of it. So what can we learn from Joseph? A lot of things. Joseph rested in God's goodness and love, even when circumstances, circumstances went from bad to worse. 
He kept gripping to God because God was all that he had. He had to deal with the pain and the suffering that his brothers had brought onto him. And he gripped to God that whole time. Number two, Joseph did not minimalize or rationalize the painful years. He went through them. He walked through them. But the great thing is, God doesn't wait for you to walk through the hard stuff before he'll jump back into your life. He's there for the entirety of it. And that's what he was doing here with Joseph. Is Joseph, God knew Joseph had to mourn. He had to be in pain for a second because he then can learn from that and propel forward into the future. And God was waiting there with his future. Joseph examined the script of his past and chose to write the script for his future with God. Because here's the thing, Joseph could have sat and been a pity party and probably could have died in prison. He could have not been interpreting dreams of the, dreams of the jail cell people and he could have just been mourning forever. But there's a time and a place for everything. There's a time and a place to mourn. They, we say this in Ecclesiastes. And then it was time for Joseph to move on and partner with God in his future, not just stay in his past in the pain. Because jo- then ultimately Joseph joined God to bless others. He blessed his brothers who got him into this issue to begin with. And let's be real, as humans, we don't have the strength to be able to do that on our own. But God gives us that Holy Spirit for that purpose, to be able to forgive others, to be able to live out the call that he's placed on our lives, ultimately to love others. I love this last quote from uh, Peter, and it says this, looking to the the past illumines the present, but make no mistake about it, it is painful. It was painful for Joseph to go through those things. It was painful for Joseph to face those horrible times. And it's going to be painful for you if you haven't. I know I've done this in my life, and it's always a work in progress. I'm not standing up here thinking, oh, yeah, hey, I already did all that. I've done all my work in the past, so I can propel. Yeah, I've done a lot of it. But it's always hard. Every experience, we, like I said before, we absorb so much what the world says about us, uh, what our parents have said about us, the pressures we place on ourselves, all these things need to be deconstructed so you can reconstruct with God and move forward. And so ultimately the question comes back to you. Are you willing to go back in order to go forward? Because no one else can answer that question for you. Only you can. And you have to be ready. How many times has, if someone told you what to do, have you completely enjoyed doing it? I haven't. Normally, what happens is I have to come to the realization myself, and then I'll do it. And maybe that's true for you. Are you willing to go back in order to go forward? And as I invite the band back up, I want to tell a really brief story. Um, There's a book called You Are Special by Max Licato. And this is a perfect segue into next week as we talk about being your true self and where your identity lies. But this book is a children's book. And it, to this day, is the best lesson I've ever learned. And Max writes about this wood carving named Poncinello. And Poncinello uh, is in this village of other wood carvings, and they all walk around all day putting dots on each other when they do something that the other doesn't agree with or that they don't like. And they put stars where people are like, wow, you're awesome. And they have dots and stars everywhere. And Poncinello has dots. He's never gotten a star. 
No one sees anything about him that's special or good. And one day he meets a friend that doesn't have anything at all. She doesn't have any dots. She doesn't have any stars. And Ponchinelle is so confused. How do you not have dots or stars? And her, his friend's like, well, I just go see Eli every day. And so Ponchinelle is like, okay. And so he goes to Eli, and he walks in, and before he even steps through the door, Ponchinello hears his name. Ponchinello, if you've seen the video, it's really funny. And it's Eli. And Ponchinello goes, you know my name? And, Pon- and Eli goes, yes, of course I do. I created you. And so they talk for a while, and Ponchinello is like, why do all these dots stick to me? And Eli goes, it's because you let them. You see, God didn't create you to walk around with a bunch of dots from your past. He created you to be able to learn from that and partner with him and live out the call he has on your life. And like Ponchinello, we sometimes get full of dots because of the mistakes that we make in the past. And we never fully get over them. Or we never fully work our way through them. And they might not even be our own mistakes, but things that people have done to us. But like Ponchinello, Eli says, all right, go and come back and visit me tomorrow. And as Ponchinello walks out, a dot falls off the ground. How do we let the dots of our past stay in the past? after being healthy and going through it and learning from it and being able to face it and move forward in the future God's calling us into. And if there's any truth tonight that you need to hear, it is this. Great news for the Christians in the world. Your family of origin does not determine your future. God does. Because of Jesus, because of the love God has for us, your family of origin does not determine your future. God does. And we're called to honor our parents in our history and our cultures, but ultimately we're called to obey God. And that's really good news if you're coming from a space where you just can't get rid of the stuff that you keep are too afraid to face. But God wants more for you. God wants more for your future than what's been holding you down in the past. And so you're a part of God's family. That's your first family. Remember that as you move forward into your week and as we talk about identity next week, about who you are and your true self, remember that just because of your past doesn't make, does not determine your future because God says it doesn't. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Revive. Thank you for family. Thank you for the learning that we get to have through the community of family. We all come from very drastically different dynamics and uh, types of maybe cultures or just situations in our life. But I pray over all of these people hearing my voice tonight that they know that they are not what their family has taught them. They are yours. And we know you created family and you put us in the family for a reason. Help us to know why. (laughs) Help us to determine what is the call that you're placing on our life in your family. Because that's the family we love to be a part of. 
You never meant families to be broken. You never meant families to be hurt. You meant them to be full of love. Unconditional love because that's how you, that's the love you have for us, Lord. And so thank you for Revive. Thank you for this topic. Thank you for just reminding us that our past does not define our future. You define our future. And allow us to extend grace to the people that have hurt us, to the family members that have, have uh, had brokenness in their life. Help us to extend that grace to them tonight. And we thank you just for being present tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. Revive West Des Moines happens every Thursday night at Hope in West Des Moines, and we'd love to connect with you on social media. So find us and let us know where you're listening from. And whenever you're in town, we would love to have you come to Revive and join us live. Peace out, Scouts.